Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Rahale Nasri. Rahale is the creator of the Violent Femme podcast. She's a writer, actor and director based in New York. And prior to writing and hosting the Violent Femme podcast, the majority of her work was in theatre. Welcome, Rahale. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I was really intrigued when I got the initial email about what you did because it's all about correct me if I'm wrong, or I say this in the wrong way, it's all about women in history who've done amazing things but haven't necessarily been celebrated for doing that. Is that right? Yes. And part of that is because one of the amazing things that they did was be violent. And women are not often celebrated for being violent. Men can be heroes and be violent, but women are not really allowed to do that. No, that's really interesting, isn't it? So how did you get interested in this? So I'd always been interested in these kinds of stories. I'd been in theater for a long time, and a lot of the roles I got to play were like ingenue women, and I didn't really identify with them. I wanted to play stronger females, women who had done great things, and I'm bossy and aggressive myself. So I wanted to play those kinds of characters, but I don't really look like that on the outside. So I'd been interested in these stories. And originally I had thought about doing a one woman show with these characters a long time ago. And then when the pandemic happened, I actually had not been doing theater for a while because I have a young child, but I was ready to get back into theater just before the pandemic happened. And then there was no more theater. And I'd always been interested in podcasts. I like to listen to podcasts. So I thought, okay, why don't I do a podcast? And so I started to write these, what I call like mini movies. They're like the life story of one of these. And it's more like the Hollywood version. There are invented scenes and dialogue, but it's based in fact, the history is real. And part of the reason I did that was because I had also started to think about what I really wanted to do and what I care about in the world. And two things that I care about are like global affairs and women's issues. And I am just often baffled at how far women have not come. I just, sometimes I'm just like, it's 2022 and this is still going on, not just in another part of the world, but in Western Europe and places like Australia and America and the UK, things that you wouldn't expect would happen anymore. So I thought, why is it taking so long for gender parity to be a reality? And I thought, 
Okay. One of the things that we do is we often talk about women when we're trying to write things, we often talk about women as victims because this has not gone well for us. This, we're not getting paid enough. And I thought maybe it's hard for people to give women more power if we're always seen as victims. We're not seen as powerful beings. So that's part of the reason these stories came into my mind again. And I thought, what if we looked at it from a different perspective? And so I thought with these stories, I can do a few things. Actually, there are like three things I think I can do with this. One is to normalize a type of behavior that, like it or not, is often seen as powerful by a lot of people in society, men are often seen as powerful because they're demanding, they're decisive, they're aggressive. And when women are seen that way, it's almost, it's usually in a negative light. And so normalizing that kind of behavior and showing women stories of women who have had those qualities, but also done heroic things, I thought what is one way. And also the other thing is that Women are not, they're not raised with stories where they're told they can make mistakes and then redeem themselves. I'm a storyteller. And one of the biggest hallmarks of a great story is that there's a flawed character who's able to redeem themselves. And women are not told that story. Women are generally told stories where we're supposed to be good. We're supposed to be saints. And if we mess up, then our lives will be ruined. (laughs) And that's the end of the story. But men, just from the time they're little boys, they're told to go out there and fight and try and do all sorts of things, make mistakes. And that's how people get to positions of power and achieve great things is through mistakes. You're never, ever going to do that without mistakes. So in some ways, I felt like women need to be given permission and give themselves permission to make mistakes, like big mistakes. I don't think even when women feel like they can make mistakes, it's never a big mistake. And it's then- really interesting because as you're talking, I've just finished reading Marianne Keyes' latest book, Again, Rachel. And I like her books because they look at the character. It's not just around the story and the scene setting, it's about the personalities. One of the things she said in this book was that the main character was astonished by how confident even the most unattractive man is in the dating market. (laughs) And it was just someone, oh my goodness, yeah. And in the scene she was setting, like we're all quite, this is a vast generalisation, but women tend to be quite reserved and downplay ourselves and don't expect a lot whereas a guy will go out there and go whoa look at me I'm really cool all the women fans me and everything it's really interesting that's interesting what you say about expectations I don't think women expect a lot even when they give a lot even when they have a lot even when they know they are very smart and are doing great things they still don't expect a lot. Whereas men, they can have done a little bit, have a little bit of money, have a little bit of attractiveness, and they're the most confident creature on the face of this earth. And I know we've gotten so politically correct that we have to say we can't make generalizations. Generalizations oftentimes 
are there because there is a lot of truth to them. And yes, there are women who have broken the mold, but I'm talking about in general, the vast majority of women growing up are not made to feel like they can be forceful, ask for what they want always and expect something in return. And then the other, the third thing that I want to do with these stories, which is a little bit more controversial, is the fear factor. I think part of the reason men are given so much power, even by women, is because there is inherent danger in being a woman. We actually fear men in a lot of situations, in many situations, multiple times throughout the day. We're always, there's always a fear of assault. And I know I'm not going to make men believe that they can be attacked by women at any moment, but maybe, maybe just a little bit. It's this feeling of invincibility that men have a feeling of invincibility, whereas women, again, generalization, tend to have a feeling more of vulnerability. So there's a need to protect ourselves, whereas men don't feel that need. Those are perfect words, invincibility versus vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. So I want to go in two directions here, and I don't know which one's going first. One of them is to tell me about some of the characters that you've looked into. I think that's probably the best place to start. So the one I start with is Tomris, who is uh, 6th century BC. She was a leader of this nomadic tribe called the Masagate in an area east of the Caspian Sea, close to the Persian Empire. And she becomes the leader of this tribe. And when her husband dies, even though she's the actual queen, because her family were leading, so it wasn't her husband who was you know, the leader. When her husband dies, though, Cyrus the Great, who is the leader of the Persian Empire, decides that he wants to take over her lands and asks for her hand in marriage. And she refuses. And so he invades her land and she ends up defeating him and killing him. And I was born in Iran. I was lived my whole life in America, but I was born in Iran. I've always heard stories of Cyrus the Great and the Persian Empire. And in a lot of ways, he is the first leader of a colonial great power, Western power. Like he's the example for that. And he was always lauded because he's known as a benevolent leader who allow the Jews to practice their religion and the people of the lands he had conquered, you know, would willingly bring their, he didn't tax them, so so to speak. They would willingly bring their stuff. That's (laughs) a bit mafia to me. (laughs) It's it's like, really? Did this really happen? Who wrote this story? But what I thought was fascinating when I started to look into Tomris was that I never knew that this woman killed him because nobody ever talks about that. It's not really written in most places. And it's funny because I get so many people of Persian uh, Iranian heritage sending me messages saying like negative messages saying, I don't know what I'm talking about because Cyrus was so awesome and everything. And I'm like, I'm Iranian. Actually, I'm Persian. I'm telling this story. But what I thought was so unbelievable was that I'd never even heard of her. I'd never in my life heard of her. And here was the woman who brought down this great leader. He's 
known as this great benevolent leader. He has his tomb in the side of a mountain. She has no tomb. Nobody talks about her, nothing. And when they do, it's, she's villainized. So that's that was, I wanted to start with that because it was connected to my heritage in some ways. And, and I thought it was fascinating how Cyrus had this image that was massaged. It was almost like propaganda. And I thought, okay, so history is really, it's either written by, it's definitely written by man and it's written by the winners. And so everything is always a little suspect. And now I look at all of history with a little suspicion because it's not all fact. And people get irate sometimes when you talk about something not being factual. Now, most of what we know, we don't really know it actually happened. Like one of the characters that I'll be talking about in the next series, Rana Valana from Madagascar, she's known as this like horrible person, but she was a leader who was an isolationist fighting against British colonial power and who wrote the story about her, the British. So, you know, like that's one character. There's also, do you want to know more about more? Oh, I'm fascinated. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> the other one that I like them all, but another one is this pirate who was in the 1800s, to me, the most successful pirate in the history of the world. She commanded like 75,000 pirates, 1800 ships was dealt with. She was Chinese, but like China treated her as her own nation. And she didn't just, she was a mastermind, really. She didn't just conduct the business of piracy. She had subsidiaries. She had farmers who provided food for her um, employees. She had a system of, she had rules, basically all of which ended in, if you don't do this, you'll be decapitated and tossed into the ocean. <laughs> but anyway, to me, she was most comparable to a CEO. She was a strategist. She had a company the size of Google or Delta, and she should probably be studied for strategic purposes, but there's Sun Tzu, there are all these masters of strategy who are all men. Again, I had never heard of her. I think in China, people have heard of her, but when you hear of pirates, like what's the most famous pirate that comes to mind? Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Yeah, but he's got nothing on Ching Shi. <laughs> what do you, because as you're talking about, I think of the different people and women tend to just get on with things there's no acknowledgement let's just get on with it okay that's done next thing and nothing's very little is celebrated in what we do I struggle with celebrating stuff and I'm not alone in doing that celebrating achievements whereas a guy will go yeah I did this let's go down the pub let's have a drink we'll go out for a meal Woo! you know there's a big yeah, that's so true I never that. thought of that yeah I don't celebrate myself at all. I celebrate other people, but I don't celebrate myself. I don't. And I imagine women throughout history have been like that. They don't demand anything. It's funny. You should say that because with Ching Shi, she ended up negotiating sort of an exit strategy for herself, got her husband an admiral position in the Chinese Navy and got to keep all her loot and retired in Macau with a brothel in a casino. 
But I don't know what sort of monuments are have been built to her. Whereas men, they want to put down their legacy. They want to write it down. They want to build monuments to each other in celebration of the things that they have done or the things that they say they have done. Yeah, it's interesting. Even <clears throat> my son's really interested in the Peloponnesian War and the research he's done on it is different to, or what he's discovered is different to the general stories about the Peloponnesian War. And he's basically completed a PhD on it with the research he's done, but he's afraid of publishing it because a lot of what he's discovered goes against the norm. Yeah, he should do like a historical novel or something. Then he doesn't have to justify what he's, it's it's funny because I thought when I started doing this, I was very worried about historians telling me I'm not a historian because I'm not, I'm a storyteller. I'm telling stories that where I'm putting in dialogue, which is invented for things that happened in the nineties and that just happened yesterday. You still have to invent the dialogue when you're writing a story like that, because you don't know exactly what was said unless you recorded it. What's going on in the head. (laughs) (laughs) But I was afraid the historians would not appreciate my work. It hasn't actually been true. So maybe your son will find some people who like it. I've actually had a lot of historians reach out to me and with a lot of compliments. I, I was going to say, what's been the feedback from this? Because it is stretching our boundaries, isn't it? Because it's going beyond even now. When I think about it, that movie that came out last year or the year before with Kira Knightley in about the women's lib movement in the late 60s in the UK, I can't remember what it was called, but that's over 50 years ago. And we still, never mind the suffragettes from the 1800, you know, 18 somethings, this is still going on. I think for me, the reaction from women has been amazing. Like they have a visceral gut reaction. I think a lot of women need this because it's almost like we've been not just oppressed, but suppressed. Like we have to suppress emotions. We can't express rage. We can't express power. We can't express, like these things are, it's funny because everybody's so conditioned. We think that other women will accept it, but often other women also react negatively to very powerful women, just as men do. And so we've learned and conditioned ourselves not to be as big, as loud, take up as much space as we should. We're conditioned to be small. And I actually, I feel like I've always done the opposite, but then I notice times when I don't, I feel like, oh, I thought I was above this, but I'm not. I've done the same exact things as other women. I sometimes judge other women for being too big, too loud, too powerful. And I think one of the other things that we need to do, these are very different stories that are not often told of like female villains almost, or women who have been villainized, but should maybe be seen as heroes. But I think it's important to tell all the stories of women so that there is less shame. You do that with the menopause and marriage and what's the other part of your (laughs) motherhood, even motherhood. I feel like there's so much around motherhood and 
little by little, we're getting a few stories that are not of perfect mothers or revealing our weaknesses and moments where we do something that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of. A lot of times people, women, mothers are afraid to talk about these stories because we're afraid to be judged. But slowly there are a few stories coming out, but it's not nearly enough. There's so many women's stories out there that need to be told that haven't been told because frankly, because men have written the stories and it is in their interest for women to be saints. It is. And also, as you're talking, the other thing that's coming up for me is there's no need, part, maybe partly the women that have been villainized for being strong characters is because they took on the men on their own grounds. So they became strong and violent, whatever other words. However, we're also not allowed to stand in our own power using our own in a way that comes naturally to us. So we might not feel the need to be violent, but like my husband always says, I'm really controlling. It's like, no, I'm not controlling. I need to be organized. I've got four children. They're all grown up now. Getting four kids out of the house at the same time is like trying to herd jellyfish. If I don't know what's going on all the time, I'm in trouble. I need to know who's eating what out of the pantry so I can replace it. <laughs> exactly. I love that you said that because that is a very astute observation. Like that, the idea that when a woman is in control, she's controlling, mm -hmm. but like we have to be in control. You're absolutely right. This is, I tell you, you just touched on something that it's very close to my heart because I always tell my husband, I'm like, did you finish this? Yes. Like, why didn't you tell me? I didn't know I had to tell you everything. I need to replace it. Yeah. It's not about being controlling. It's about taking responsibility to me. Res yes. In my experience, we can be, that's not, look, we've got to do that quietly. And without stepping on anybody's toes and without calling anybody to account. And you have to say, please. And yet, yeah. And you have I to be hate so things. grateful <laughs> when people tell you that they've finished the bloody cherry tomatoes. And that's what it, it's almost as though nothing or a lot of things that we do in the background aren't counted for anything. And so we're taught not to acknowledge something it's like, okay tick done that let's get on with the next thing okay tick so we go under the radar all the time it's funny you say that because one of the things that I've thought about a lot is the fact that the gains that we have made as women the places that we have found in the workforce and contributing to the family income and all of that I don't know that we've gained so much because all of the not all but most of childcare still falls on women. And now we're making money too. And this is, again, this is a generalization, but like a lot of women are making money too. And so all we've really done was relieve men of the duty to make money, to provide for us. And we've just taken on more work. <laughs> Who really won there? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it's like, I did a, a construction degree at university back in the 80s. So there was me and one other woman on a course with, I don't know, 40 odd blokes. And then when I graduated, 
I was one of six women in the UK working on a building site doing this job. So I was this rare piece of work. But the other woman on my course, she always tried to compete with the men. Whereas I was like, I'm going to do my thing and I'm just going to get them to do what I want them to do. So I'd organize all the guys and just they'd go off and do their thing. How much impact does that need to compete in a man's world? Because I think that might be part of the issue, that we are required to compete against men on men's playing field as opposed to this is what we're good at and powerful at. I think part of it is that we don't have any role models. That's part of the reason for these stories is that we don't have stories of women doing it their way. We only get stories. We only see men doing it their way. And so I think a lot of women are at a loss of how to do it. They're like, okay, so I have to do it like them. I have to compete with them. And there's a big gap there. We need to be able to see more women doing it. And if we don't have stories of present day, we need stories from history. There aren't many of those either because people haven't told those stories because those women haven't been worthy of celebration, like you were saying, because they were not perfect women. And the people telling stories of perfect women were the ones who made those judgments. And so a lot of the women that I come across, and I have a long list that I want to cover, are were either mentioned briefly in history or villainized or dismissed. When I first started the podcast, one of the things I wanted to do was share stories. That's one of the key things because I looked around me and I had all of my friends all had this incredible story, something that had happened to them. And yet they never spoke about it. It was never discussed. It was just something that they'd done and they'd, that was in their past. That was just part of their story. But those kind of things are actually really important. Like the friend who nursed her child through cancer, another one whose child died suddenly and she had to go and he was in a different state in America and she had to go and retrieve his body from a different state and her ex-husband was getting involved and it was all really messy. Those kind of things aren't even talked about for the most part, whereas I think that I think they need to be spoken about so that we can start to celebrate who we are and our own skills, as well as looking at, oh, this guy, he's bought this big company and he's done this with it. And he's our blooming premier in New South Wales. He prides himself on his strict Catholicism and his wife's at home. She's pregnant with their seventh or eighth child or something. And how does she cope? Even in that portrayal. Yeah. Like women are portrayed as not having a lot of trials and tribulations and every woman has that. And so those are the stories you're talking about. We've all gone through so many different things. I was stalked. I left my city where I I practiced theater. I acted and directed. I was in fear for my life. So I left there so many other things. I've gone through a revolution. I've got like, there's so many things that happen to women and they're all pretty significant, but we don't talk about them and we don't share them. I don't know why. I think part of it is 
we are conditioned to feel less important. So our stories are less important. And I think, and I hope that's changing. Yeah, I hope that's changing as well. It's one of the things that I want to do with talking to people on the podcast is just is accept who we are and acknowledge what we do. We are, we're not guys. We do things in a different way and it's not worse. It's not better. It's completely different. And we need to acknowledge And when we step into that power, that's when we'll really get power and having these conversations because that hiding, that not talking is the biggest thing that's stopping us from stepping into the power, I think. Yeah, that's great. So tell me another, (laughs) sorry to say. I think that's a great ending. (laughs) I'm on a soapbox here. Just the acknowledgement of what we do and who we are and what you're doing is doing that with some amazing women from the past. I always think of the Harry Potter in one of the Harry Potter movies. No, Fantastic Creatures, the second one. And they look at this family tree and all the women on the family tree are represented as flowers. Then there's no names, no faces. All the men have faces. And I thought that was a really powerful point because even if you look at the Bible, it's the same thing. The women aren't really mentioned. It's all the men. Shakespeare too. A lot of the mothers are dead. There there are great female Shakespeare characters like Cleopatra, but often when there are children, there's a father, but no mother. Isn't that interesting? That's because women were expected to give birth until they died in childbirth. It was like, have one baby after another until you die. Yeah, that's, that's actually true. That's part of it. And I also think that menopause is a very dangerous time for women. And a lot of women do not make it through. And I think that this idea that women have a longer lifespan is not actually true. I'll tell you why. Because when they calculate that, they include men who die in battles and gang warfare. And we lose a lot of men in those situations. And that's something that puts men in a vulnerable place. And men talk about that, or some men do, and some men don't. But I think that creates the gap between the life expectancy, because a lot of those men are not making it not for health reasons. And so I think just we've been hearing for the past decade, a lot of the medicine and medical procedures and blood work, all the testing that goes done is based on male physiology and not female physiology. And so even in today's world, medicine is not geared toward women. No, I remember- Lots of work to be done. Oh, so much work to be done. I'm not even going to- go into that because I'd go on for another 10 minutes give me before we go just tell me one last because you do have your own podcast channel when is your next series coming out so end of March like the beginning of spring I will do because these they're like little movies so they take a long time to write research and then recording and then I also have a composer I work with who does the musical composition. His name is Ryan Rummery. Just a plug for him. I have the next one coming out, which the first one of the next series of four is Boudicca, or you might know Bodicea. Is that? Okay. That's (laughs) the first one. And uh, there'll be Rana Valina and Comandante Ramona, who's a Mexican Zapatista. 
and Hannah Dustin, who was a Massachusetts woman in the 1600s. So that's the next series. And they are actually, they're a little bit more villainous than my last series for, but we'll find some heroism in there too. <laughs> oh, just because you're a villain doesn't mean a hero as well. <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah. No, that's so cool. Thank you so much. I've had such a pleasure doing this and I would love to do this more, this regularly with you as well, because it is a conversation that is so important to us as women, menopause or not menopause. This is really important. This is crucial to us moving forward as a gender species, really. Yeah. And my gender. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> because we're all going to waste. We are all going to waste. There's a lot of work to be done, but we're, we're, you're doing it. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. We're trying. I, I remember somebody said to me a, years ago, I can't remember what I was doing, but they said to me, if you're not careful, what's going to be inscribed on your headstone is died with potential intact. And I went, oh, oh that's bad. But it's true though. How many women are in that situation? Yeah, I want women to be fearless. I want them to feel like they can try things and make mistakes. I, I really, one of my biggest hopes is for women to make mistakes every day and throw things out there. I think because we're conditioned to be perfect and not make waves, we wait a long time before we do things. We want to make sure that it's going to be received. It's going to be perfect. Men just throw themselves out there. Yeah, it's like whip out whatever. I'm going to sign off there because this internet is getting quite bad. I'm just watching the, the pictures. It was great to talk to you. Talk to you again soon. Have the best time. Thank you. Me too. Take care. Take Bye. care. for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember if you're busy thinking about what you can't have how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have see you next week